when you have a commodity that's in true short squeeze, like silver has been in the past, you get full backwardation. And full backwardation is that curve inverted. And so the front month or the spot market, true backwardation, the spot market leads. And we're gonna get into what's going on right now. And Bob will add to that as well. But this is this is the background. The the, the back month, the front month, the spot market determines. That's the dog, right? So so if spot goes to $25, and not only does it go to $25, but people are unwilling to defer their purchases for a month or two months or three months. What ends up happening is the market inverts and it's, I want my silver now. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And in today's episode of the show, we have another one of the panels from the recent Silverfest Festival. And in this one, Vince Lancy and Bob Coleman, two of our silver experts, talked about a lot of the issues we've seen in terms of backwardation in the silver futures and also the short position that has been quite large in SLV at various points this year. So obviously this gets into some of the more technical aspects of the silver market, but it was great to have Vince and Bob join me for this panel. So I think you'll find this one helpful. And here we go. Fortunately, the action is not slowing down now as we have two of, I would say, in my opinion, the two of the top experts in the silver market, especially when it gets to some of the more complex things that are going on, which we will dig into in this panel, which is about the SLV short position that we've seen grow throughout this year, and also the COMEX backwardation, which we've seen the COMEX market go into backwardation a couple of times in the past couple months. So, Fortunately, to dig into that and explain all of the action is Bob Coleman of GoldSilverVaults.com. Bob, great to have you on here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to see you at Silverfest. And again, Vince Lancy, who's become quite a popular guest on the show. And uh, Vince, it's a pleasure to see you here on Saturday as well. And welcome on into Silverfest. How are you doing, my friend? Good. Great to be here. I was listening to uh, Rafi and Ronan beforehand, and that was pretty cool. Hopefully we can touch on some of those things. So, Well, yeah, that's one of the things that's uh, nice about the whole day where you, we get a lot of really talented people in the silver field who all have their different expertise and perspectives and things that they look at. And hopefully this helps for people at home to put them all together in context. So we will continue doing that. And I'm going to give both of you guys a chance to talk a bit in the beginning, but certainly we'll take questions uh, from the audience as well here. So, Vince, perhaps you can start off by just giving a brief overview for people, some who might not be familiar with what backwardation sure. is and why it occurs. And, and why don't you start there? Oh, okay, wonderful. Um, first of all, I was thinking if silver were trading $16 instead of $21.22, this might actually be a telethon. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd be like Jerry Lewis. I'm dating myself, but you get my point. You'd be raising money to keep silver from going to zero. All right. So um, backwardation. Okay. Uh, normally, normally it's a hard word to use, but just, let's just say that when there's a bit, when there's, we're talking about silver here, right? So I'll just talk about silver. When there's plenty of above ground silver available, uh, to make delivery on demand, you just have to find it and sort it out and it's immediately available. Uh, the future spreads in the financial markets, which are derived off of the spot market, 
go into a gentle, upwardly sloping curve from front to back. So when there's plenty of silver around, or plenty is, you know, a word to use, the market is in contango, right? So it's the, the spot market is here and everything is anchored off of that. Yeah, like that. It's anchored off of that. And there's your, your difference between one month and next is financial, right? It's entirely about the cost of money and getting your silver a month from now. You want to buy silver today, it's $21. You want to buy silver tomorrow, it's $21.10 because we have to store it, et cetera, et cetera. When you have a commodity that's in true short squeeze, like silver has been in the past, you get full backwardation. And full backwardation is that curve inverted. And so the front month or the spot market, true backwardation, the spot market leads. And we're going to get into what's going on right now and Bob will add to that as well, but this is this is the background. The, the the back month, the front month, the spot market determines. That's the dog, right? So so if spot goes to twenty five dollars, and not only does it go to twenty five dollars, but people are unwilling to defer their purchases for a month, or two months, or three months. What ends up happening is the market inverts, and it's I want my silver now. Think of it as food that needs to be eaten or oil that needs to be used. And for whatever reason, there's no availability of silver right now for delivery. Now those could be, those usually are temporary in silver. They could be uh, minor on strike, historically, miners on strike, uh, a hiccup on the delivery process, uh, COVID refiners shut down, who knows? There's all kinds of things that, that do that. But, but what it means, whatever the cause, what it means is that I want my silver now, not a month from now. Now, the, the, the phenomena that we saw uh, over the last, I'd say, three months uh, and, and seems to be persisting, depending on where the market is, is a third scenario. And the third scenario is, is really a transition from contango to backwardation. And that is where the physical market, the spot market, the one that we all buy, is trading at a premium to future. So that's backwardated. I want my metal now. I want my metal now, not tomorrow. But the rest of the futures are not reflecting that demand, and so if you're if you're a um, if you're a uh, a little bit paranoid, you don't have to be a lot of paranoid anymore. Just a little bit paranoid. That right there, that curve right there that you're showing right there, Chris, that curve in the past would occur in precious metals all the time for seconds and minutes. So it would happen that. Oh, there's a there's a shortage of physical demand, and you know that's in London, and we're futures in the U.S. And so you had this little disconnect, and there'd be opportunities, and that would be smacked down by uh, by uh, the banks. They would keep that in line. But since the uh, disaster in February 2020, that hasn't been the case. And this little EFP, it's called an EFP, Exchange for Physical, which is the first month in the U.S. compared to the uh, spot market. It's it's kind of sticky. And, and what Bob is going to, I think, explain very well is that is that when the market, well, I don't want to steal something, but when the market was dropping, the lower it went, the steeper the backwardation went in the front. So that meant, that implied that the physical demand was being taken in. They were buying it. They were buying the dip and the funds were selling it. If you look at it this way, I'm taking delivery in London and meanwhile, some speculative fund is selling futures in the, in the U.S., so that situation right there you're looking at, that's usually temporary. What's weird this time, and, and uh, not crazy, but weird, 
is that this is persisting. When the market rallies, it goes away. But when the market drops, it keeps coming back. It's come back over every gyration that we've had for the last three months. And historically, when that happens, it ends with, it resolves itself with one of those full backwardation curves. And when that happens, that's the, uh, the uh, proverbial shit hitting the fan. And that's where people want their metal now, not tomorrow. And you have a full-blown short squeeze. I hope that's what you were looking for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Bob, I will uh, perhaps toss this follow-on question to you. When is it the difference between just a matter of people wanting their metal now versus a month from now, as opposed to concern that, hey, are they going to be able to deliver these contracts a little bit farther out? Well, I, I think it's important to define people because <clears throat> what you've been seeing since June, uh, July of this year is a, a, the reason why you've seen a lot of uh, metal leaving the registered category has been fabricators needing physical supply uh, and they've had sourcing issues with obviously with prices of uh, of metals going down, not just silver, but all the you know the base metals as well, because silver two thirds of of silver supply is by, byproducts of of other mining. Um, but what started to, to occur was that refiners were actually going to the COMEX to to gain that immediacy of metal to make physical product because they have to make product. They don't have a choice. Um, uh, they have to meet customer demands or contractual demands, that type of thing. So you started to see that was the people, I guess, if you want to say initially, that's been the consistency of metal leaving the market, the backwardation that, that started to develop and built. Uh, you had physical players needing that metal to make physical product. And then you had the financial community, which was shorting the paper price, causing the, 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 the futures price to actually go down lower than the actual physical price because you had physical demand happening at the same time. You know, CTAs, commodity trade advisors, funds, so forth, were shorting commodities in general because the dollar is rising. So what basically what you walked through the last four months um, was literally a bear market in precious metals, but I, I helped people walk through that entire bear market of why it was happening, um, the structure behind that was happening, um, and what would actually cure it. Uh, uh, and and I think what we ended up just seeing was pretty re a remarkable, remarkable event where you probably just saw a major bottom in the metals um, uh, take place because they got pressed to a point where physical demand started to actually override the paper markets. You saw this deleveraging that started back on basal uh, threes. Um, uh, uh, um, it was a back June of 2021, I think it was, or June, June 30th, when it was implemented. This is all part of that process of deleveraging and, and the physical market saying, hey, listen, there is value here, and this is where value is, and and the market didn't break, and that's why you saw silver not go to new lows in September, and and gold actually go to a lower low. Um, is I think you hit the, the 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 pressure points of the the refinery and fabricator market. And, and so, just to be clear, there saying that the difference between what we've seen in the gold and silver curves is that it is the physical demand that has been forcing that back up. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, the physical market has been 
doing its job from a supportive standpoint of creating a base. The, the, the issue, and, and, and Vince will tell you too, the paper market, the volume of, of paper ounces traded just absolutely is, is enormous compared to the physical market. It, the, 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 the problem you run into is paper can be, even though it trades a lot of volume, it can get very, um, uh, it can get very illiquid if the side is too many people are on one side of the boat and then all of a sudden they got to switch to the other side. So when the market got too short and you started seeing players try to get out of those positions, you had that initial rally from silver and that kind of pegged it back in September is that, you know, this thing was primed for a short squeeze because, you know, at $18 silver, too many players were trying to push it down and it wasn't going down anymore. And you saw the, you know, you saw the, uh, 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 the, the um, cost to borrow on SLV shares go up 60 million ounces short, you know, t t t uh, or 60 million shares short, 10% of the more than 10% of the entire shares outstanding. I mean, you started to see these re really weird things uh, uh, start to develop in the markets that tend to tell you that, hey, we're at an extreme here. Um, and, and that's what I was trying to point out to everyone. Now what's happening is the exact opposite in a way now you've started to see that short covering the paper price starting to move back up um because the the the, the, the physical sort of flex this muscle i guess you could say and now you're seeing um uh and and vince can get into this you may actually start to see physical metal start to come back onto the exchange in fact we saw 500 and some odd thousand ounces this past week in one day come back onto the exchange and part of that is because of financing. It, the now that we're in contango, some it, it it plays to maybe put that metal onto the exchange to use it as collateral uh, or or for other types of financing methods. Where where uh, uh, you know placing it into a uh, onto the exchange, you know placing it into a warrant st status, you can actually use that metal uh, for for other types of uh, uh, fu funding, I guess you could say. So, but that's, that's, it, and it gets really interesting because because Vince can get into this, but um, I think Jeff Christian, which did a really good video a couple days ago, talked about how silver market and inventories don't necessarily always correspond with one another. We, you know, you tend to see, you know, silver inventories go down. You're, you're, you think logically, okay, the price is going to go up because there's less metal available. And there've been times where, um, uh, there's been times that that's been the case, and there's been other times where you know more inventory coming back onto the market, uh, actually the price starts to rise. And the one thing I would mention, which is kind of interesting, because we're if you look at when the period of time when the COMEX was seeing metal leave the market and the price actually starting to rise, is the last financial crisis, 2008. If you look at that. The, the inventories there, and you guided that all the way down into 2011, you had declining inventories, and then you ultimately hit that point where the price just took off because you had a major short squeeze. I mean, you had you know 30 million ounces left in the COMEX of the registered category, and uh, the shorts were pressed. You know, the hedges were, were, were backed up, and, and, and people tried to unwind the hedges, and you, know, there, you had just massive illiquidity. So you can see the market go up you know, either on a big decline in inventories or potentially if inventories start to rise, uh, you could see the same thing happen. Yeah, and Bob, one question about what you mentioned there. Appreciate you bringing up 2011 because as I've looked at this chart of the registered stockpile, you know, at 35 million ounces, 
still have seen a lower amount in 2016 and 2011. Although at the same time, those were two years that we had significant rallies, uh, a bit more so in 2011, but 2016 uh, was shortly after this time where we saw silver go from 14 to 20. Was that the connection there or is can you say that the, the low inventory was what eventually forced the price back up higher at that point or is that, can you draw that connection? Well, it, it creates a base, I, I think, if, if, and whether the market takes, you know, how the market interprets that's another story. But but from a short perspective, from a player that's, you know, massively short futures contracts or has a big position, and all of a sudden the market stops going down, that's a signal to them to start buying on dips, to, to start covering that position, to try and hide hide the, the you know, so they can get out at the best possible price. Um, if if they don't and the market continues starts to, to to go up then all of a sudden you start to see you know because the risk to a short is infinity i mean the price can just go straight up like we saw in nickel so so what you saw off the cpi numbers um this past you know, week or so um was a recognition that wait a second the fed may actually be you know the inflation may started to 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 have peaked not that it's going to go straight down and back to zero again but it may have peaked um and the market's trying to in in anticipate potentially a fed that's maybe not slowing down or, or stopping the hiking but they're slowing down that process and maybe there is some light at the end of the tunnel but we're what we're initially at we've seen the massive 75 basis point increases come to an end and 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 the gold market set, starts to sense, oh, wait a second, if that's the case and the economy started to recede, it's going to anticipate now a dollar that's starting to go down um, as the economy starts to roll over a little bit because the dollar has been so strong because the U.S. economy is doing better than the rest of the world. Well, all these trades are starting to unwind. And and I think the precious metals markets were kind of the first to sense that. You know, you had you know, it was a, the week, uh, week and a half ago where gold went right down after the day after the uh, Fed announcement uh, and then put in basically a big time bear trap, I guess you could call it, uh, and then reverse back higher, it caught a lot of people off guard. And all of a sudden, that's typically how bases or breakouts start to form. It's short covering first. Uh, and then you if that short covering sticks, the longs start coming into the market. And then that forces the rest of the shorts, that's fuel behind the fire uh, to take the, the, the move to move the move up. And that's that's what I'm trying to focus on. And, and, and one of the telltale signs is the retail investor saying okay i don't believe this rally i don't i think i'm gonna buy it on the next pullback the problem is the pullback may never come and and uh retail investors may be left holding the bag in terms of not committing themselves into the market uh they, you know they've been scared out of the market uh, so to speak because of the last four months and you also have to look at the night the last 19 weeks i mean gold went through 19 straight weeks of selling which was incredible i mean that 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 in and of itself is a washout. Um, I mean, there's there's nobody left to sell, uh, you know, unless you just sip, started just simply hitting more more stops and 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 trying to run um, margin positions, positions, which I think they've already been run. Um, and so, you have a great makings here for um, you know a potential move higher, uh, even in the short run here, even though we may be a little bit short term overbought. Um, it may surprise people. Yeah, and uh, certainly uh, I'm glad you mentioned the dollar index, which 
quite a move down over the past couple of weeks, uh, down to 106. Um, so interesting to see how much of a move we've had there at the same time in gold and silver. Also makes me wonder if we see inflation, CBI missed by two tenths of a percent, and we get this, should the Fed ever stop or start stop raising or at some point start cutting? Makes you wonder what we would see happen. Although, Vince, what Bob mentioned earlier about with the price being a little higher, could we conceivably see metal go back into the registered stockpile? We did see about a half million ounces over the past week or so. What would you say about that? Uh, yeah, that's that's actually a valid concept, um, and it's counterintuitive as it may be. It has nothing to do with fundamentals. It has nothing to do with real supply and demand. It has to do with the financial machinations that go on behind it. So, for example, in the past, although you can't see the reason, you can't see the correlation, there have been times when the metal would be pulled out of the vaults as the price would drop. And then when the market rallied, you'd see metal going back in. And uh, uh, it's a mystery, I think, uh, uh, historically, why that would happen. But let's just look at it this way. Uh, uh, in the simple version for for um, pre-ETF, right, which is what we want to talk about as well, uh, metal coming out of the vault is a leading indicator. And on the way back in, it's a lagging indicator. So the market will move regardless of whether metal's coming in or out. Fundamentals don't matter until they matter, so to speak. So uh, the other the other thing you know that that uh, Bob said that I think is is really important is a lot of people had been asking the thing that he was answering about the uh, how could the futures be trading under the spot? Why don't they just buy you know why don't they just buy the futures you know the physical guys? And the answer is they were they were buying the futures and taking delivery. And the banks were intermediating on that. The, the reason that the funds are so, quote, stupid uh, and they keep selling it below where physical is trading is because, and this every stacker understands this, is because they don't have the ability to take delivery and sit on the silver. They're speculators playing short-term plays, smoking the last quarter of a cigar that they find on the street, to paraphrase Buffett. Uh, so they're not equipped to take delivery. The bullion banks are. So the bullion banks would be buying the silver future underneath the spot and making delivery. And then the metal leaves the U.S. and goes to London. Where it goes from there, I have no idea. Um, but but it really comes down to when the futures are trading under the physical at the short end, that's because the physical guys are just buying and they have deeper pockets. And the, and the sellers are selling with less deep pockets, which leads us to these violent turnarounds that we had that Bob was was alluding to. Bob, one other thing that I wanted to run by you before we open up for some questions is related to the SLV short position that we've seen uh, over the summer. And I'm going to pull that up here. Is this just uh, another way that funds have been trying to short the price? I know you mentioned that on uh, Twitter the other day of whether this was just them meeting the, the buying demand. Uh, but let me pull this up. And if you can comment on what you've been seeing, because I know you've been tracking that closely. Here we see the green line, which is the estimated short interest. Certainly got bigger around September, which is one of those time periods where we had a rally, but 
what could you say there to help put that in context for people? Um, I think with SLV, uh, you have to look at the authorized participants and, and understand the mechanics behind SLV. Um, I think, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I think when 2020 happened, I think it, there was an incentive for authorized participants, which are, you know, the you know the major broker dealers uh, market makers that type of thing virtue financial goldman sachs um you know the, you know the traditional large banks uh you know their trading desks so to speak i think there was an incentive for them to move that metal out of their commodity desk and put it into the the equity trading desk and put and dump it into slv for example or these etfs because they could use the etfs um, maybe a little bit easier from a from a collateral position as well as a financing position, and they, they you because know, you can when you when you convert that metal into an equity, you then can either use the metal arbitrage between share price and underlying physical, or you can use the shares that you've created um, uh, and lend those shares out into the marketplace for financing or, or, or security lending that type of thing. There's multiple ways to make money uh, versus the the old uh, hey listen we have a commodity desk we're, we're you know we're borrowing a crap load of money we're making cents on the dollar whereas the equity guys are making a killing and so the banks are like well this doesn't make any sense let's just put it on you know the as we saw with Scotia Makata and some of these other trading desks they've left the business because it, it there is a lot of capital that's up front and you don't make a lot of money doing this sometimes um, so so. Uh, I think what we, I think what we're seeing here, with especially with this drawdown of physical market or the physical in London, uh, especially going out of in, you know to India and so forth, is I don't think this big short position could actually be, a lot of it could be the authorized participants, um, not necessarily uh, secular players move looking for a potential move one way or the other because what we're what we're seeing is wider. Bands of going from discounts to premiums against net asset value on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and and you know if I was an authorized participant, uh, and I could have if there was plenty of metal, metal available, I would be creating shares um, and and uh, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, selling shares into the market uh, that are overpriced when we're at a premium and delivering cheaper metal uh, and playing that arbitrage um, uh, in. You're not seeing that. You're seeing the, the 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 share count, the shares outstanding, actually starting to decline as the price goes up, and you're at premiums. You're you're. It, it's a really strange environment. It's almost like uh, the market makers are, and they could be, obviously, they could have silver on the side somewhere, or Comex contracts, or they got have some sort of uh, 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 underlying position that's counter to their short position. You know, that's that's you know, on on SLV, for example. But as market makers, they can go naked short. They're entirely entitled to do so. But what I'm saying is, it is, is um, they may not be believing in the rally, or they may see a period of time where this is a big short squeeze. They're going to take advantage of it by shorting shares of of SLV rather than actually creating shares, because they're thinking is if they can get the underlying silver, they could deliver that into SLV, create more shares, offset the the naked short position that they have, and life goes on. I mean, that's that's and that's, that could be the other underlying factor that they're looking at. But you know, you know they may actually have silver somewhere. The problem is. Where is the silver? Because we saw this massive 
I mean, India has been this sort of uh, the canary in the coal mine saying, listen, we'll, we'll take everything you have. And, and you saw this massive drawdown. So I don't know where the silver is coming from or potentially these banks have delivered it to India or someone else because they're willing to pay a premium um, based on that backwardation. And they just took advantage of that and they're looking to replenish stocks and, you know, and then they'll recreate the shares um, uh, when they have that silver again, who knows? But that, but that's those are things that I try to follow, and, and you, none of us know for sure until you know we start to see it show up in data. Well, that certainly makes sense and leads into a question that comes in that I think is on everyone's mind. Where I'll rephrase this slightly, but do we have any idea of when when does this become a bigger problem? Um, are, are you talking about with? physical supply or, or, or price or um... well, just I guess just the totality of it, it. It seems like there's a scramble out there right now for physical. And perhaps that's why it's pushing the price higher and um, not normal conditions in COMEX or SLV. And obviously, a lot of people wondering with the mismatch of how many paper silver ounces there are out there versus the underlying physical and expecting a higher price. Um, does it seem like we're getting close to some sort of breakage at this point? Well, the the price, the spot price needed to rise. There's otherwise, if we would have kept going down, down, down in price, the the, the issue would, would been premiums are going up and higher and higher and higher, but it's not solving um, you're not seeing scrap come on into the market. You're not seeing more secondary selling. You're not seeing the supply issues being solved, you're seeing them just be stretched out. And LBMA, a lot of the participants at the the past LBMA um, meetings uh, that they've had, were happy with premiums going through the roof. They're making a crap load of money. Um, it's you know the price going down actually is benefiting them, not necessarily hurting them, uh, because all they have to do is they have pricing power. They can simply raise the price on the product, and and the wholesalers are going to buy it because they can they have pricing power. They're going to raise the price on the product because they can sell it to the retail dealer. The retail dealer says, hey, listen, I can raise the price even more because the public's willing to buy it because the public's seeing you know all the fundamental characteristics of. You know the dollar moving all over the place geopolitical concerns debts whatever it may be um inflation uh and so this the industry has been basically feeding uh, off of the consumer um uh, really for the last couple of years and what i've been trying to point out is that that will only last for so long uh, until the, until the consumer says you know what i'm not going to pay these premiums anymore either the price has to start rising again or um, uh, I'm not going to deliver metal onto the market. Uh, you know, at some point, there's going to be sourcing issues because the mines have been starting to slow down. You've seen uh, uh, mining production uh, start to decline. Um, uh, you've seen uh, uh, Australia, Peru, those types of things. You started to see that as prices are dropping. So, so uh, and, and LBMA came out uh, about three or four weeks ago talking about, hey, we're going to now open up our market to artisan, artisanal miners, uh, you know, the small guys, and we're going to take their inventory and we're going to, you know, you know, uh, source it and so forth so that can actually be sold into the LBMA system because they realize that they're running into issues with with supply um, and that's part of the, 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 the this gets into a bigger bigger problem because the 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 investor is saying listen what is really the price is it the spot price that we see on the futures market or our, London or is it the price that I buy a silver eagle on eBay at um, and and the, the 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 problem we're running into is 
you have a confluence of supply issues of creating blanks, for example, and, and retail product, trying to create enough retail product. At the same time, you have the, the guys that make these blanks are starting to realize that in the last couple of years, hey, I can make a lot more money not selling to the mint. I can make it just making my own product because if the mint premiums start to rise on U.S. Eagles or Canadian Maple Leafs, all of a sudden I have pricing power for my generic product that I can actually start selling even higher into the market into the market and make even more money. So, so the industry is somewhat broken in a way, and you need to. There's a lot here to fix, uh, and and I think the only way to do that is you have some type of legitimate exchange. A, a transparent two-way market that starts to determine, hey, what is the true price of a hundred-ounce bar of a one-ounce eagle, whatever it may be, and you you have a you have a, a liquid market for that, not just simply, hey, listen, I see a gold dealer selling it at nineteen dollars over spot, that must be the price of silver. That's that's a joke um, because uh, you know the, the mint selling it for two dollars and ninety-five cents to the wholesaler. So you know where is really the true value? Sorry for getting off a tangent. No, no. Well, I think that's important. Uh, I know you've talked with our friend Scott, who's actually been working on a project to build something where you can actually get some sort of liquidity on some of these, because I think people are often confused. What is the price that I'm looking at? So I uh, appreciate everything you mentioned there. And Professor, I'll toss this one your way. Uh, you, you like that nickname. I see the head pop right up. Uh, yeah. Vince, you're actually a professor of finance, so uh, not surprising with your ability to break these things down. But Des asks, what happens if the COMEX, I'm assuming he means the inventory, let's say that we actually did continue to see the drawdown and it gets to zero. What what actually happens at that point? Um, not to correct the question, but it won't get to zero, right? Because, but I understand what he's getting at, what the questioner is getting at. Uh, it'll stop well before that uh, and will declare uh, force majeure. In the situation, in something, in a situation like that, uh, it's it's real simple. If you, if it's about survival, right? So, uh, looking at the COMEX, looking at the CME, you have an exchange that uh, needs to survive a bank run. Look at what happened with the LME and nickel. You shut it down. You stop trading. Uh, ultimately, in the end, I think if you're if you're doing worst case scenarios, and I game them out all the time, is the worst case scenario. Uh, if COMEX effectively goes to zero, is the exchange declares force majeure and separates physical from futures because it's in their bylaws they can do that. Uh, they are not a. It says like I'm almost quoting. Uh, they are not uh, a warehouse. Or physical silver. I mean, they are, but they're, I mean, they're not intended to be used that way. Uh, what will end up happening is you'll see an extremely volatile market. And I think Rafi was talking about this. Rafi, I mentioned this earlier, and, and he was right. Um, the, uh, the concept is the exchange uh, to survive, it kills its brand, right? So, so the futures contract temporarily, right, uh, is cash settled only. And so it becomes a tracking stock for the actual physical silver. And it will start to trade at a discount. How much of a discount, I don't know. But what ends up happening is physical goes to, to exaggerate, physical goes to infinity, but you can't sell it. And futures go to zero and you can't buy it. So there's no arbitrage anymore because what's happened is 
the 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 bridge between uh, physical and futures is destroyed. Which, by the way, uh, aside from what we all see happening, that's also a manifestation of what's going on uh, in in the East. You know, there's a lack of collateral. You know, there's a lack of physical assets available for financialization. So, uh, to answer the question in one sentence, uh, in the worst worst case scenario, the COMEX stops delivery says that this silver is spoken for. Uh, the analogy that I like to use is um, is uh, Bill Gates walks into a store and he wants to buy uh, he wants to buy something for his grandchildren. You know, uh, remember it's a it's, it's an iPhone cover case, and the guy and they they these kids absolutely want this blue one, and he walks in the store and he goes how how um, he's got like ten grandkids let's say, and the guy says I only have five left, and Bill goes. I'll be right back. Hold those last five for me. And those are there. They're an inventory, but they're spoken for. And, you know, I don't even have to be paranoid about it. The reason I think about it that way is because that's what Phillip Brothers did to the silver market in 94 and 97. Uh, they never took delivery. They just said it was spoken for. So so silver will stop at a price uh, and, and, and reverse. I don't want to make too much of that except to say that it can happen. Uh, it would happen, and that's why. You would want to be either a stacker or J.P. Morgan. Imagine if you're a bank that's long a ton or 10 of physical silver and your short futures against it, which, by the way, is silver that came from Bear Stearns, which came from Drexel, which came from Beish, which came from the Hunt Brothers. You have all that silver and you've been hedging it ever since and you've been playing your, you know, you've been playing the market as you see fit, but you're long put right if the comex separates because of fear of unable to, to make delivery on contracts well then you walk away from failed contracts and you own the silver so uh in that case you would be happy for jp morgan if if comex goes to zero because they would be the ones making comex go to zero hopefully that helps all right and perhaps the last question before we wrap up as unfortunately we're coming to the end of this panel here which Time goes quickly when you have two experts like we do. Although five years from now, do you see it being possible that this current setup is still being maintained and has continued on? Maybe silver is 22, 25 bucks or anything like this, or, you know, and we can add in everything going on with the Fed and, you know, five years out, you would think at some point there's been an interest rate cut in there. Can, can we still be looking at this same environment five years from now, or is there enough pressure at this point, plus what's going on with the world, that things are going to be looking a lot different in whatever context you choose to answer that in? Bob, why don't you take that one first? Um, well, hopefully in five years, I'm still alive. <laughs> but um, I, I think um, uh, you need to have disruption in the industry. The way it's structured right now, it's frustrating a lot of people it's frustrating investors or physical buyers because they're saying listen i'm there's no reason i should be paying for you know x percent over spot for a a one for for a silver product um uh with the idea that there's i'm not the only one who owns this there's a lot of product that's actually on the market you know you go back to 2010 11 12 you had you know two or two or almost three times as many silver eagles 
made back then as you do now. So it's not the question of it's just overwhelming demand and it's it's a supply issue. It's you know you have you have problems that are set up in the marketplace that are being taken advantage of by you know the few players that are in it. Um, and that's no fault of their own. Uh, you know that they're just they're situated in a great great position. But the the problem is you need to have some type of uh, exchange mechanism or some type of uh, format where you can actually have a two-way market. Because at that point, someone can buy a Silver Eagle with confidence that, hey, this is the spread between the bid and the offer. It's not going to be I'm buying it at $19. And oh, by the way, this guy puts out an ad on and everyone picks up on it that I can sell it back to them at 10 bucks. That doesn't help anybody. You know, that's that's just a massive loss uh, waiting to happen. You need to have basically a, a, a much more transparent market. Um, and and, I, and it can be done. It's just that the industry, it would take away a lot of profits from this industry. And is the industry willing to do that? And I think they've been trying to create these digital programs, which in, in reality, the digital programs are just implementing more counterparty risk and so forth. And they're trying to maintain that, that dealer model masked in a digital format. But I think that's one of the reasons that you need to see happen. It's that the, because the, the price can go up. It's not that, you know, price can go to $35 silver, $40 silver, and premiums can contract because you can have supply coming onto the market, you know, one ounce eagles coming onto the market. That's not going to, that may not hit the, the thousand mounts bar market demand. You know, the industry may need the silver no matter what. It's just that the, from the investor standpoint, there's, there's a lot of risk right now buying the wrong product. And I think that that needs to be talked about because this, this, the fantasy that the premiums could explode and go much higher um, uh, in that world, it would be a world where you have almost like a Mad Max world where we go to barter system. And I'm telling you, that would be miserable for everybody um, if, if, if something like that happened. Um, you know, I, I, I hopefully we don't go into that realm, but there's a lot there's a lot of fundamental support for silver to go to sixty five dollars an ounce, for example, uh, that you don't need to have the end of the world happen. Well, I think that's certainly good. Uh, good note to end on there. Um, so thank you for that, Bob. And nice high silver price, but things still floating along. Vince, a uh, quick comment on whether you see this thing yeah. staying intact in its current format for much longer. I, I, yeah, I'd love to add to that. Um, the question, if I if I remember correctly, is do I think this can do we think this continue for the next five years? Five years from now, will this whatever is going on continue? And the answer is no. If you were to ask me one year, I'd say, I don't know. Two years, I don't know. But five years, I'd say, no, uh, this will not continue. And it will not continue for big trends that are happening now that affect the little trends that we care about. The East has shown that the financialization of precious metals, uh, it has distorted the price of physical. They've shown it by buying it, that's India, right? And whoever else they're buying for, uh, they're probably buying for someone. Uh, London has shown it by letting, for my feel, the EFB go so positive without anyone taking the arbitrage out of the market. And the grassroots demand uh, for silver uh, and gold as well, but silver primarily, uh, has shown that there is a demand, a real fear that has been restoked uh, with inflation. Uh, whether you think it, it is not a good hedge for inflation or not, doesn't matter. It is. Um, so uh, the reason it won't exist is because 
The East is going to create a basket of commodities, whether it is good or not, whether it succeeds or not, that remains to be seen. And that basket will contain silver and gold. It will contain other things too, but that's going to be a lot harder to do. The second reason is uh, in the West, you are seeing the dollar, uh, even though it's doing very well right now against other fiat, but you are seeing the rest of the world see the effects of having a unipolar monetary system. And the dollar has now effectively strangled many countries, not to mention our policies are really pissing some people off. So the, 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 the change in the monetary units in the world will go from, not from the dollar to the Chinese renminbi or yuan or whatever they want to call it. It's going to become multipolar. And, and in the U.S., you're going to have you're going to have half. If you want to simplify it, the G7 and pals will be on the dollar, and the East and pals will be uh, on something else. That something else will have specie in it. It will have energy and economic related commodities that each country is debating what they should put in right now. And so the answer is no. And that's why silver is being bought by India. That's why the EFP is doing what it's doing. And the market is being managed right now. It's probably a financial trade going down related to some of these shorts. But five years from now, no way. The, the, the world is changed. And it's going back to what it used to be, which is a desire to have a real or more than one real store of value, even if you don't think gold is anything more than a pet rock. If the pet rock preserves its value, if, if, if silver preserves its value, which is, I guess, the, the, the other pet rock, right? That's what they call it, even though it's not true. Um, then what you have is you have, at the very least, at the worst, a neo-Keynesian is going to put their money into silver and gold because that parking spot is safe while they figure out what their next idea is. And it's going to be money. And I would not be surprised if one of the buyers for the last two years has been the United States. It won't be the same. Well, certainly going to be a lot to watch unfold and uh, appreciate everything that you guys shared here, at least to have a roadmap and a guide as we progress down that path. Certainly a lot of confusing things happening out there, although I can't thank you both enough. So Bob Coleman of Gold Silver Vaults, who is a dealer in metals and also does storage. And you can find out more about Bob at goldsilvervault.com. So, Bob, thank you so much for joining us and thank you. Sharing, sharing your expertise as always. And Vince, the Professor Lancy of Goldfix Substack, it's great to have you back on here. Well, thank you again to both Vince and Bob for being part of that panel and digging into some of the more complex elements that are out there in the silver world yet. Certainly a big part of what we see going on as so much of it is dominated by the paper trading. Hopefully you found that one helpful as you were watching along at home. Before we wrap up, I'd like to thank First Majestic Silver for bringing us today's video. First Majestic actually had some news out this morning as they announced the proposed sale of a royalty portfolio for $20 million to Metalla Royalty and Streaming, approximately 4.1 million Metalla shares at a deemed price of $4.79.84. And you can see the list of assets here. One 100% gold royalty up to the first thousand ounces payable annually, and the rest are 2% net smelter return royalties on a variety of other assets, all located in Mexico. 
And once closed, First Majestic will hold approximately 8.5% of the outstanding shares in Metalla. And they are subject to a statutory holding period of four months and a day following the date of closing. So again, to find out more, the link to the press release on this, where you can see the individual assets in the description field below. And with that said, going to wrap up for today, but appreciate you being here and look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.